Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. I'm Trisden. And I'm Ray. What we hope to do here is find a little bit of middle ground on some of these extremely polarizing social and political issues. Welcome everybody to Extreme Common Sense. What's up, Ray? How's it going? Hello, Tristan. Good to see you again. Indeed. Good week? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a basic week. I I uh, promised to hear or to uh, hit no extraneous buttons today. Well, I'll tell you what. I, not, have you, I had a lot of fun. Have you heard that podcast yet? Yeah, it was it was pretty funny and uh, <laughs> definitely a lot more work uh, monitoring three Ray Whites as opposed to just one. That was oh boy! I, it may not have been funny as funny to the listeners as it was to me and <laughs> uh, hopefully you, but I was knowing what had happened. I was literally crying. Yeah, no, I cracked up listening to it. And for anybody listening, you can jump on. I posted a picture on our Facebook of. Uh, you as three different spots of the screen and me as one. So yeah, if anybody wants a visual, but yeah, in the moment it was very funny. And even to listen back to it, I got a kick out of it. I don't know if it was good broadcasting, but it was a, it was a funny moment for sure. No, that's the beauty of podcasting, right? Oh yeah. It's not, you know, like radio, what we're used to sometimes is uh, we try to be a little more polished, you know, this, it's kind of nice. You, you get the luxury of not being so polished, right? Yeah, no, I would agree with that. So here's a kind of funny story. I think today we're going to get to uh, this Little Mermaid debate, and I, I really want to hear your opinion on some and some thoughts on just how do you feel when they replace old characters that are of a certain heritage and kind of see where you stand. And then we're also going to talk a little bit about this thing that Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida continues to do, which is sort of trying to own the libs by taking these refugee folks and shipping them to like kind of notoriously Democrat parts of the country. So I also want to get your get your thoughts on that. But I, I don't know if I'll be able to tell this story very well. But this happened literally today while I was out. Um, I won't say the name of the store and I won't say the name of, a, of the candidate. <clears throat> but I have a, a candidate here in central Kentucky that happens to be running for one of our open judge seats. And he happens to be a Democrat, which I would say is somebody locally Man, it's a bad start to your campaign is just in central Kentucky having that letter. But this is a very well-known guy. You know who this guy is, known around town. People people like this person. And uh, I part of my job when I sell people radio ads, if it's for politics, you have to get a, a signature on political forms. So you're in line. Basically, everything is um, correct in the system for the FCC, et cetera. So we decided to meet at this store to get him to sign these political candidate forms, he picked the place and we walked in. Now this place is also one of my clients. This place is very, very notoriously pro Trump, notoriously anti-Democrat to the point of part of their showroom is selling shirts that are the let's go Brandon t-shirts. So I've been in this store 
literally where they've sit around and have the conversation of how could Democrats be so stupid? Like they're all so dumb and I just hate Democrats. And I just sit there, of course, like, yeah, man, that's you, you tell them, you know what I mean? Like, what do you say? I'm not, it's not a hill I'm willing to die on as a Democrat, but at the same time, you get a feel for the the store and the owners, et cetera. Like this is a very pro Republican store and they're not Democrat guys. Well, I was pretty fascinated to see them uh, when when my client, who's running for judge, walked in, they put his bumper stickers out for him. They nice. told me they told me in confidence after he left, they're definitely going to vote for him. Now, I, I guess a that's kind of the beauty of local politics, right? You know these people, yeah. so it's easier to to make good decisions based on the candidate as opposed to just voting for the letter. But I was still fascinated by the fact that as anti-Democrat as they were. Here's a guy that they know that's a good dude that uh, they like, and we're happy to support him. It did literally with Let's Go Brandon shirts in the background. I was pretty fascinated by that. That's wild. Yeah, I would say that ultimately that's what it comes down to, right? It's more, it's sort of the old line about a great lawyer knows, or I'm sorry, a good lawyer knows the law and a great lawyer knows the judge. Right? It's kind. Of, it's kind of the same thing. It really doesn't make a difference at the local level if a guy's a buddy of yours. Um, I mean, it may, but it also can get mitigated. So yeah, that's really interesting. Now, I assume these guys know he's running as a Democrat. Yeah, they do absolutely because I asked asked them specifically, like he's he's a Democrat, right? Just again, sort of po- playing up on the fact that I knew. <laughs> that they were uber Republicans and that I knew Chuck was a Democrat. And they're like, oh, yeah, kind of the old, he's one of the good ones. But he's one of the I good always, ones. Yeah, and I kind of get lost in that because my thought is, and I tell this to our buddy Aaron at Berea Pond a lot, like there's a lot more Democrats in the middle like us and a lot more Republicans in the middle like him, as opposed to the, the, what the media is telling you every Democrat is, you know, late-term abortions on babies with no issues and, you know, screw business. It's all about only climate. And I keep, you know, trying to have this conversation and we keep trying to have it here that, look, there's a lot more people in the middle than that represent that fringe on either side. So, again, I think it's just uh, it's just unique when you kind of see that in action. And I wish people would sort of have that mindset a little bit more going into these national elections. When you know somebody's a fucking boob, maybe we just vote for the other guy this time because he's not, etc. Right. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it, it's fun to watch it play out, though. That's why politics is infinitely entertaining. Oh, you know, Trizan, it's a little bit like when Bill Clinton came here and spoke in 2008, and I was still working uh, for your boss at the time, so I got a real good vantage point. That's when Hillary and Barack were locked up in that primary, and Kentucky's primary actually mattered. Ours usually come so late that it doesn't matter on the national level, but they were, you know, fighting neck and neck. And Bill came, you remember it. I do. uh, May, I believe, of 2008. And he addressed the crowd in front of our Madison County Courthouse. And there were, you know, thousands upon thousands. I think something like 7,000 people showed up in our fair little community. And I saw many of my Republican friends out there to watch Clinton. You know, they would have, you know, they, they would have spit on him metaphorically, but they were out there. A president's a president, man. What's the difference? President's coming to your little town. You're going to show up. Yeah, I agree. It's, um, you know, and, and I like when people are, are a little bit more open to that as opposed to just and even I would say in the 13 years, 14 years since Clinton came, I think we're even a little bit more partisan now as a country than we were then. I don't know that if Joe Biden came 
if you would have the same type of bipartisan folks come out to support and see him speak, it feels like people are a lot angrier now and a lot more divided based on that letter. The D and the well, R. That's, uh, and that's what I guess we'll find out. It's, um, you know, has it reached the point yet where it's frightening? Well, I tell you what, I, you know, watching the, um, the Sunday political shows this week, boy, it was pretty, pretty negative. And, uh, They were really sort of, I mean, it felt like, I don't, I'm I'm paraphrasing, but it did feel a little bit like they were saying like almost kind of the point of no return on how partisan everything is right now, that it's just really in a bad spot. And I don't know if that's, you know, politics or if there's some type of benefit to speaking like that for, uh, in front of these midterms, but it definitely felt like, and it feels like we're maybe in a different spot than we've been in our lifetimes. I think that's possible. Yeah, um, it, it's that whole. It's it's it seems to be coming down now to, do you favor democracy or do you favor autocracy? And are you going to vote accordingly? Right. Right. Did Did you have? I was going to say there are people on the right who will tell you that you know uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez AOC is uh, un undemocratic person because she wants I, I hear people I know say this you know she she wants to see one party rule and she wants to see you know whatever it is all that I will call nonsense is but at least on the empirical evidence you know I think I've, as you said there's only one party that stormed the halls of Congress looking to overturn an election and that was not the Democratic Party yeah no that's accurate and I'll tell you what I, there was a poll I think this was on Stephanopoulos, Steph, George Stephanop, Stephanopoulos, uh, Stephanopoulos, Snuffleupagus, yeah. uh, Stephanopoulos. Yeah. Well, that's never got me before. George Stephanopoulos, Stephanopoulos, yeah, yeah. There we go. So uh, George, there was George a, ES. We'll just say it was on Meet the Press instead. So there was a poll. <laughs> <laughs> there was a one an, syllable last night. There you Todd. go. <laughs> there was an Axios poll this week that. Uh, that showed one third, and this is sort of the answer to the question that you always ask that you just referenced, strongman versus our elected leaders, one third of Americans, that's 33% of folks that were polled, would rather have a strong, unelected leader, basically their guy, over two thirds who would rather have a weak leader that was elected. Man, that's a pretty big number, I thought. Now, is that all the Trump folks? I, I mean, well, again, uh, people on the right will tell you, no, no, you know, you lefties want somebody who wants to ban uh, gas-powered cars tomorrow and make sure we're all using solar instead of burning oil. So, you know, there's so much, what's the term, cognitive dissonance that comes from both sides. But again, I like empirical evidence. You got to go back to the crowd that actually stormed the halls of Congress looking to overturn an election. And that was one party, not the other party. And to me, that is a difference with a distinction, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. And, and, and to be fair to my Republican friends, this Axios poll, it did show, I want to say it was maybe 20% of those folks that would rather have the unelected leader that basically they sided with was Democrat. So there was more Republicans in the poll that wanted, you know, their unelected leader, but it wasn't like the Democrat number 100%. was zero. Right. Yeah. It was like, okay. and again, the so numbers are some of that. Well, yeah. so then that leads you to, um, 
the actual threat on democracy. Because obviously there are some of our countrymen who feel that democracy doesn't work. I mean, it was Ronald Reagan, a patron saint of the right, maybe not the MAGA right, because they're so far down there, but, you know, reasonable Republicans. Reagan is a patron saint. I don't know who the equivalent Democrat would be, I guess FDR. And it was Reagan himself who said that our freedom is only one generation away. So there's always been a threat to democracy because it's fragile, right? It, it takes the support of the people. It takes the goodwill of the politicians. And Trump exposed some of the weaknesses in the system because a lot of the democratic system does work off the politicians doing what... I think you sent me the clip, which that would be wonderful to play. Uh, every president going back to one that I didn't even um, uh, recognize. I think it was one of... FDR's opponents, maybe like Warren G. Harding or somebody, but it goes all the way back to 1932 through Hillary. It goes through all of the losers, Bob Dole and Senior Bush and Jimmy Carter and uh, and Richard Nixon and on and on, saying the day after the election that, you know, while I may not totally agree with my opponent, he just beat me, and for the betterment of the country, we're all going to work together. There's only been one president in 242 years, I guess, of our democracy who has opted not to do that, Tristan. And there is no comparison. You know, th there's just not. Republicans will say, well, Stacey Abrams in Georgia never conceded. Okay, well, first off, I don't know if that's right. Secondly, that isn't the president of the United States. There's only been one who didn't concede, and that threatens democracy it simply does yeah no it's uh it's a scary time and i keep saying you know it's like the boy who cried wolf a little bit because every little trump issue we were all like oh my god it's the end of the world because to be fair trump was a different president and some of the laws and traditions and norms that he skirted over that was appalling to a lot of people. So I think we all sort of watched his presidency, certainly those of us that didn't vote for him and maybe didn't like a lot of the things he was saying. And we did make a big deal over everything. But That's fair. if you could only go back and say, look, some of this stuff was a big deal, but none of it holds a candle to January 6th. None of it holds a candle to, to, to now being, how long has it been since he ran to still be saying he won this election and it was fraud and it was fake you know and some of these calls he made to states like georgia saying well let's just find some votes guys let's just make this you know a trump win man that stuff is just that's not something you can brush off that's not a thing that's trump being trump or he doesn't like to lose or you know he's just kind of a big baby but i really like his policy look this is the type of thing I get it. We all fucking hate to lose a presidential election. We hate to lose at anything. We're human beings. But man, we, we can't give up this grand experiment of American democracy just because we really like one guy. I mean, it's just not how it works. And fuck, that would be one of the maybe the saddest thing in my lifetime if we gave up democracy that easily just because, you know, 40% of the country really, really likes Donald Trump. Yeah, well, and that's where it becomes a threat. But I think the point you made prior is a very good one. It's a it's a critique that I think the left needs to learn from. And look, Tristan, it came before Donald Trump. I remember Michael Moore's book. I remember reading it one summer. It was called, uh, it was a play on Dude, Where's My Car? Remember that movie? And it was called Dude, Where's My Country? And it was just this, you know, abject 
uh, pillaring of, of George Bush II, of uh, W. And you look back fondly now on George W. Bush. You, you would have taken him in the White House over Trump in a moment because he, well, I forgot to mute the phones. My bad, Tristan. Thankfully, it's a, <laughs> thankfully, it's a slow day today. I may have to run to the other phones also. But, no uh, worries. Y- you know, the left has done that for a long time. Right. With with beating up every Republican simply because they're a Republican. And I think the left has to be honest about that. Well, there's can you so talk much for tru- a minute? I'm going to mute these other phones. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's okay. so much truth, truth there, Ray, because I think, yes, I think Democrats like myself and saying Democrats do look back and say, oh, my God, with George W. Bush, I would, you know, trade like my car and one hundred thousand dollars to have George W. Bush back in the White House. But at the same time, I, I don't feel like that's one party. It's not just one party that, you know, like I would say the same for Republicans. Like right now, you would think that the Democrats elected, you know, Satan Hitler as president and it's fucking old timey moderate Joe Biden. You know what? It, it, at worst, he's mediocre. You know, at, at best, he's adequate. But at the same time, like this is not a guy that's going to drastically change your lifestyle. You know, he's going to pass a few Democratic uh, laws and make a few changes that anybody else would. But look, this man is not AOC. So I think both sides could do a little bit better with maybe trying to find a little of that spirit that we had after 9-11 and come together a little bit after these elections, because it seems to just be getting so much worse. And yes, Democrats, one million percent, maybe much worse uh, at this um you know, this outrage of the president. But then I, you know, I I see the same thing with Biden and people are just losing their minds, you know, over every single thing. So yeah, I think both sides could do a little bit better at just enjoying life and getting off Facebook and just not complaining so fucking much at every little thing a president does that you don't like. I mean, yeah, say your piece and vote. That's, that's what democracy is about. But yeah, I mean, we got to quit acting like every time there's a moderate president that we dislike one of his policies, that it's the end of the fucking world. Yeah. It seems to be going a different place with Trump though. I don't know if you sent me or I sent you, um, but that Youngstown rally where now somebody in his orbit, they've added this sort of spiritual sounding music and the people are putting one finger into the air and, and the comparisons to some of the group rallies in 1930s Germany are not that far-fetched. I mean, it's almost as if Trump now is really clutching at straws to hang on to this thing because apparently, uh, you know, with his defeat, there were some people moving away. Some of the QAnon whack jobs were, and I say that with the, you know, all intended affection. Um, we're starting to move away a little bit. You know, the, the predictions hadn't come true. You know, Hillary wasn't arrested or Biden wasn't arrested and Trump wasn't put back into office. And it seems like Trump was aware that some of that movement was starting to dwindle. So he is looking to reignite that base. Did, did you see that clip from Youngstown where they're playing this, like, church music and he's talking and and because it said none of this is photoshopped none of this is edited in any way this was actually taken from that youngstown um rally that he held and it's it's getting it's getting a little weird tristan it is no i i saw the same thing and man you know and i find that that whole thing fascinating too a because Trump's not religious. You know, the, the fascinating thing about the, the whole thing is like, you know, every time he's been interviewed, well, what's your, what's your favorite Bible quote? And what means the most to you about the Bible? And he just pull, he always says like, 
oh, I, I just don't like to talk about my private faith or whatever. You know, he just has some some kooky answer because he's not religious at all. So there was the a fact- great there, there was a great story told um, by one of his inside advisors early on, like 2015. He didn't necessarily run. Um, just for evangelicals, but it certainly became that. And that's another mystery of, to your point, of, of Trump's um, whole mystique, mystery of the mystique. But apparently some polling showed that evangelicals were very much on board. And apparently he said, these goddamn Christian conservatives love me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but, now, but, can't, you, can't you see that or hear that? Absolutely. A million percent. Right. Yeah, that that's very Trump. You know, this is the guy that makes uh, you know Queen Elizabeth's death about him, and uh, you know, you saw his quote that he would have the best seats in the house had had he been invited because he wasn't even invited to the funeral. But it's oh, uh, is that you right? Know, I didn't even see any of that. Yeah, so just his, you know, that and to me, the reason Donald Trump is not a religious man is that Donald Trump worships himself. Like this is a man right. that just. You know, he idolizes and loves. He is his own hero. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, there is a lot of, I mean, we've known some cocky people in media and some people that were really into themselves. I, I think Trump's on another level. So, how did that happen? There's so, like I said, there's so many mysteries of the Trump uh, reign and, and appeal that are going to be answered down the road somewhere. But what is it? Your point, a man who should make evangelicals wretch they should turn and run from him at the fastest pace that they can decided to embrace him to what end so that he would over appoint judges who would overturn abortion i mean the whole evangelical thing is just so crazy and so hard to understand what in the f is that about yeah no i i kind of agree because to me i i see the job of christians uh in my mind to try to make abortion, I can hear you clicking your pen, by the way, uh, the job of Christians to make abortion unthinkable, not illegal. So if you're a Christian, you should be trying to raise money to help women have other options than abortions. Like, look, we're going to pay to make sure you can have this baby to term and we'll give it up for adoption. We're going to put you up in a house if you're homeless. We're going to make sure you have food. We're going to try to make abortion as uncommon as possible by helping being the light of Jesus being, you know, this person that's going to help you in your time of need, as opposed to just worrying about the law, because what, what happens with that is then you've got a woman in Birmingham, Alabama, that's about to give birth, but it could kill her. She needs to make the hardest decision of her whole fucking life. And then you've got doctors consulting law books. I mean, that's look, no, I, I don't think most reasonable people in reasonable circumstances don't like abortion. It's not a pleasant choice to have to make for somebody. Sure. But it's it's understandable. And yes, I think Christians have made the law more of their focus as opposed to let's end abortion by helping women and let's end abortion by funding, you know, programs to, to keep them from needing abortion, et cetera. So I think it is kind of they've they've put their eggs in the wrong basket by saying this guy who fucks porn stars and cheats on his wife and has three divorces and you know by all accounts is pretty shady with his business practices but we love him more than anything just because he could appoint the judges that could change the the law of abortion uh, it doesn't make sense to me 
Right, and it seems to have backfired. Now, let me ask you something. You said you could hear me clicking my pen. Could you hear me chewing on cashews? Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I was going to sort of add that in as a feature to the show, like raise time to eat sort of thing. Is it, <laughs> would, it, would, would it be rude? Well, I don't know it about rude, little, but... might be a little rude to the listener. I think it sets off my OCD if I'm trying to talk and I hear you chomping. I don't know if it's <laughs> as bothersome to the listener, but you know what? Let's get a food sponsor in here. And then it'll be Ray's, Ray's having some Jacksons. So then we're, you know, so you can have like That's, a, a five-minute break. Work, that would work perfectly, and I am just the man for that. Do you um, do you have OCD? you have some things? I, man, I, don't, I wouldn't think I'm on some kind of spectrum of like where I probably should take pills or anything. But, yeah, I mean, I think the older I get, the more I like things in a certain place. And, yeah. you know, like, what's that? No, I, I, I said yes. Although, you think that's an age thing? I'll bet you it's, if you're that way, you were probably always that way. Man, I think I just grew up, I would say this. Like I, I don't know if I've mentioned on the show that I grew up really poor. But I think part of that lifestyle that. is, um, man, nothing's in order. You know, when you've got an alcoholic parent and, you know, there's different people in and out of the house all the time. Like, the house is dirty, whatever. Like, it's your mind is kind of in disarray. So I think one of the things, if you choose to go on the opposite end of that, as you become an adult, part of what makes you happy and calms your anxiety is having your life in a certain order. So like, I do like certain things a certain way. Um, you know, I, I probably, once I get something in my head, like if I hear you chewing, it's not that it bothers me real bad. I just can't focus on anything else. So I'm sitting here thinking, raise chewing, raise chewing, as opposed <laughs> to trying to make a point. So, and it was the same with the pen click. Like if I, if you're sitting there clicking the pen, I hear that. And I'm like, it's just, See, kind that's of probably my, that's probably my nervousness and OCD. That's why you do those things like that. Yep, right. Absolutely. It's, it's gotta be, uh, but, but I, that's a fair point. And it is rude to be chewing. Well, you know, the first rule of public speaking, seriously, first rule of public speaking is no foreign objects in your mouth. Oh, makes sense. Now that I mean, is, you the, want to have a PA guy chewing gum. I mean, come on. Yeah, that's true. Ironically yeah. enough, that's the last rule of pornography. That is the last rule of yeah. pornography, not, yes. Not right. a so big, back right. to the subject at hand, you were talking about Republicans <laughs> and their attraction to Trump or Christian evangelicals. How about Which this? Neith- I, yeah, neither no, is the, the, the point of the show today, but yeah, we can keep no, no, it's with not, this for a while. But, you know, slightly off topic. <laughs> it uh, is fun. Extreme common it's sense. so fun, yeah. Extreme common sense slash slightly off topic, but... Uh, um, I would I would make this our Bray upon joke of the day, but it's really not a joke. You know, somebody sent me this and it said, the cat who was completely obsessed with my bump when I was pregnant is quite uninterested in the baby now that she's out. It's a weird way to find out my cat's a Republican. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I we would've... kid our Republican friends. You know. <laughs> yeah, I, I did see that. It was it was a, it was a pretty good meme that floated around this week. So, yeah, it. Got a got a good. Hey, here's one for you on Trump. He also said in that Youngstown rally that they they had finished the wall. Did you see that? Uh, so well, then the, there should be no one coming over, right? So the wall's done. I guess he probably would say Mexico also paid for it. And yeah. So what's the immigration issue at this point? All right. If the wall's finished, there should be no problem. There's just some weird stuff. I mean, like you kind of, and I oh, guess there's some weird stuff. Yes. Well, you kind of have to check reality at the door, right? I, I think it's, yes, and Bill, Maher, Bill Maher talks about it a lot. Bill Maher talks about magical thinking and sort of once your mind is in a place where you sort of are open to sort of magical things, then 
it's easier to accept. I, I don't, I don't know. I, I struggle with with some of that. There's a lot of fantasy in the Donald Trump world. I mean, there's there's just a lot of fantasy, and you know, it is a little bit of the na 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 na, you know, um, uh, throwing stones, and uh, you know, I see it often with my sister's text up in New Jersey. What about ism? You know, Trump did, but what about Hillary? And what about Biden? And what about AOC? And that seems to be their entire, you know, oh, uh, 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 oh, what is it? Uh, uh, the Oh, 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 I can't think of the term. Their OM, their entire OM, modus op, op, operandi, whatever that modus operandi term is. Yeah. yeah, modus operandi, mo. Their entire mo is just what aboutism. You know what? Yeah, okay. So Trump might be that guy, but what about this? What about that? But anyway, we weren't going to talk about Trump, and I have to tell you, I know very little about the Black Ariel. That's a Disney thing, other than. Uh, bouncing it off Lucas, who I work with, who literally goes to Disney uh, in a ridiculous amount of times, four times a year, perhaps. He's nice. leaving. Uh, yeah, he's leaving the uh, first of October. Actually, uh, there's a I guess a fall break in Fayette County, so they're loading the kids up and heading back to Disney. He absolutely loves it. But I guess what what you're talking about the appropriation of a black character who's an otherwise um, you know white movie or whatever that kind of thing and people well, no, not, are not exactly. about that well it was actually it was just the character of ariel historically through i don't know 1992 or whenever she existed has just been a white character so now in the movie and that's a mermaid right she's a mermaid. right she's a mermaid yeah. and now in this movie she is a black character so there's a lot of and again i think this is one of those issues that people on podcasts can talk about and people on Twitter can get angry about. I don't think it's a real world issue. Like, I don't think Jimmy no. at the IGA is his days ruined because uh, Ariel's black now and she used to be white. But so, yeah, we, I mean, we could speak in, in terms of this particular Disney film, but then also just generally what your thoughts would be on that of changing characters and roles of making them different races, etc. But uh, what do you think? I, I, you know, it's a tough one. So has this movie been released I think it's being released very soon. You know, as a white person, I certainly don't want to say, "Hey, it should be white people." Are you? Uh, were you ever a Game of Thrones fan? Yeah, seen every episode. Are, are you watching this new one? I am. Yeah. So they have a very prominent player, the house of the, the leader of one of the houses, who's a who's an African American man, right? Same thing. Now, exactly. I, Similar I, debate. Obvious. Yeah, obviously, 30 years ago, he'd have never been in that role, right? I mean, that was the right. critique of George Lucas's early Star Wars movies. There wasn't a black face in it. So, yeah, things change, right? I mean, is that, and I'm never going to stand in opposition to what could be perceived by some as progress. I agree with that. Now, I will say this, and I don't want to make this awful counterpoint, and, and I hope nobody listens to this and thinks, oh, you racist, because I really don't feel you like wish I wish there a- were a few more Jews. I do wish I, I feel like there was the Jewish folks were not represented at all. And in my experience, most mermaids are Jewish, in fact. But no, the point I will make is, and I read uh, a Stephen King book my entire life, the Dark Tower series. Uh, two of our listeners are going to know what that is. But it was the whole, it was like an 11 book series that spanned like 1978 to like 2004 when he finished it up. But the deal was, he, the guy was always described, basically the, the leader of the, the book, was described as looking just like Clint Eastwood. So you just sort of get this in your mind, your entire life about this character. So, I mean, I'm not going to lie. When the character came out, 
And it, it was a character that didn't look like Clint Eastwood. It was a guy that, uh, or it was the the boss on The Office, the black guy, Idris Elba. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. So great actor, you know. But I'll admit, when I first saw the preview, it was like, oh, man, I just had it in my mind this whole time. Now, let me say, it's, did I go watch the movie? Of course I did. I liked the books. I gave them a chance. But, I mean, to be fair, like, there is that part of you that's like, and again, it's not just that it's a white to a black guy. I mean, to me, if you had John Shaft come out and it was an Asian guy, I feel like the black community in the back of their minds might be like, I don't know. I think you probably just let Shaft continue to be a black guy. So I don't think it's the racism or the fact that they change races. It's just you sort of, if you read a book or you have something in your mind your whole life, you'd like them to stay true. That's why so many people, you watch a movie and if it doesn't stay true to the book, you're like, well, I didn't like that it changed this and changed that. Sure. So again, I don't, I don't think it's a race issue. And I think people are on our side are quick to jump in and say, if you don't fucking love Black Ariel, you're a racist asshole. I mean, no, you. I mean, I can see a lot of girls who grew up in the 1990s that would just say, well, you know, I was just kind of used to her looking a little different, but at the same time, like also willing to give it a chance and also willing, you know, to accept Black Ariel, of course. But I don't think it makes you a racist or an awful person to just not like change that much, right? I mean, you read a book and you get an eye, an idea of what a character looks like in your mind's eye, and then when they come out, a great example is the original Godfather with James Caan playing Sonny Corleone. Sonny was described in the book by Mario Puzo as, um, you know, big, strapping, you know, your big Italian kind of meathead, you know. He's supposed to, he was, uh, Puzo said he had, you know, a horse cock on him. And he screwed everything that moved. So you expected somebody like Stallone to play that part, right? And here right. comes small little Jewish Jimmy Kahn, and a lot of people complained about that casting. So, yeah, that's a fair point. That is probably as old as movies and books, right? Right. And so, again, I, well, A, again, it's just a Twitter thing. I mean, people just online want to make a huge deal out of everything. Is it a huge deal in the grand scheme of our daily lives? No. But is it okay to probably give some people a pass for not just, you know, expecting a little consistency? Like, I always feel like it is nice to see black folks getting represented on the screen now like they should and women right. and Asians. You know, folks are really getting more representation now than they ever have. But at the same time, like you do feel like let's come up with original stuff for you. So it's not like we're remaking the cast of Seinfeld oh, that's fair. That's fair. with with Asians. Right. No, and again, right. nothing against Asians. We just like you just picture the cast of Seinfeld a certain way. So right. again, I, I mean I don't think you take uh I don't know, in living color and redo it as a white cast. There was a great uh, which you can find uh, all in family and Edith was talking to Archie and he's saying something disparaging about blacks and she says Archie blacks have come a long way they're doctors they're teachers they're you know and and she however she sets it up she goes they've come a long way on television you know and television oh. kind of right but television for however that works sort of does lead if you think even now today right um I would say 10 years ago, you saw a lot of homosexual couples. And now what do you see almost exclusively? And I'm guilty of this. I'll say to Patty, oh, another mixed race couple. I mean, in the most, um, you know, uh, soft commercials, a, a, a fucking fabric commercial, right? There is a black and a white couple. It's almost exclusive now in ads. And obviously, Tristan, that is by design. That's not sure. coincidental, right? right? 
Yeah. So it's a, it's it's a message, a subtle message being sent that you know society's ready now to accept this and and stop looking twice at it, kind of thing. Yeah, and so again, my but, thought on that would be maybe again, there's no excuse to be racist and there's no excuse to be an evil or awful person, but maybe just give people five percent of the time to be like. Okay, you get that you're taking something from their past or their childhood. You know, if you're redoing the Leave It to Beaver show with an all-black cast, maybe just have a little patience for the 80-year-old folks that have seen it one way their whole life. Again, as long as they're not out screaming the N-word, it's probably, you know, just give them five minutes of anger without judging them and canceling them and and hating them forever. Look, we we, we all come around, but, you know, I also get that side of it that it... You know, you get used to something and there's a 2%, you know, again, if you came out with a yeah, Knight Rider absolutely. with some, you know, with anybody besides Michael Knight, I'd be like, what are you, what the hell are you doing? So that is funny. My uh, sister-in-law worked at uh, a travel agency, Woodside Travel in uh, at Bluegrass Airport. A lot of people came through there because of the horse farms. She said that David Hasselhoff was the single most handsome man she had ever met. How about that? Not a bad looking dude. No, and I think second maybe was you. Hey, let me ask you a she question. She did say that. We're, we're going to get to DeSantis and the, uh, and the immigrants momentarily, but here's a question that you probably can't answer. Excuse me. I've been drinking Diet Coke, but not chewing cashews. So, <laughs> Hey, that's why you got that the, mute button on your, on your mic. Oh, up. yes, yes, yes. This, I don't want to hit any buttons, Tristan. I'm hitting no buttons. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> this would be a question for uh, my my very good friend Nate Haskins, David Townsend, Grant Stepp, who works with Raymond, and I hope to get him on as a guest, all African-American gentlemen. But if I'm watching a basketball game and I say, hey, there's two white guys on the floor, is that inherently racist? It has oh, to be, right? Good question. It I don't know, man. I think it, to, to me that <laughs> that just goes back to who your company is. I mean, to me, yeah. uh, you know, it's not. That would be like, you know, if I was watching uh, a look. Uh, a Yale lacrosse game and uh, with, with one of my black friends and they said, ah, oh, black dudes on the Yale lacrosse team. It's <laughs> okay. kind of the, you know what I mean? That's it funny. Is, That's I don't know funny. if it's, but I, I will tell you this. Uh, Nate is a good friend of mine. He was here when I took this job at galaxy and he grew up rough in Memphis and he tells some amazing stories. His mother, his parents were divorced and his mother moved him from Memphis with her when he was 16 years old to his dad in Bowling Green, Kentucky, because he'd been shot at. And Nate was like, man, let me tell you something. There's nothing like being shot at. I heard that damn bullet. But Nate's a African-American young man who um, has has done great things with his life. He works at Okanite. He's where he's a foreman. He's very active in the uh, Black Masons, actually, the Masonic uh, Lodge. That's, a, I think, fully Afri- African-American. But Nate and I have had any number of conversations of, of some depth, right? <laughs> we were talking one day, and he does this with his fingers. He's he's doing this, Tristan, like that. And I said, what the hell is that? He goes, a little bit. You a little bit racist? And I'm like, Nate, look, <laughs> I grew up in a fucking 100% town. This is what I'll say to anybody. I grew up in a 100% town, Pequannock, New Jersey, 38 miles from arguably the most integrated place on the planet, New York City. Now, was that by accident or by design? That that town still today. I left that town in 1988 to move to Kentucky, Tristan, and now 34 years later, it's still a 100% white town. 
accident or design. Pretty sure that was design. So yes, I had no choice in seeing people through a particular prism because I had no interaction with black folks. I didn't live with black folks. I wasn't brought up with black folks. But here's what I would say about that. Are, am I Am I intrinsically or inherently racist because of that? Probably so. I probably judge things on race. But here's all I can do to mitigate that upbringing is to treat everybody I come across with respect and as an equal person. And if they give me some reason not to like them or to lose respect for them, whatever their skin color, then that's a separate issue. But in the back of my head is the fact that, yes, I can't help the way I was raised. I can't. So what can I do as an adult to try and mitigate it is to treat everybody I meet with respect and then take it from there. Yeah. I, well, you know, that's what, all you can do, right? I mean, I, th I think the key is to just realize that there's different folks in every culture, in every race. I mean, and I think more often than not, no matter who you are, you're probably more of a product of your environment than a product of your genetic makeup as far as the type of person you are. Um, see, like, I think, uh, you know, like somebody that like Will Smith's children <clears throat> are going to grow up and they're not going to be the same as somebody that may have grown up really poor in an inner city. So, and race has nothing to do with that. I mean, to me, you're, you're a product of your environment. You always will right. be. So to me, I would be, you know, much more concerned if somebody that I knew had a sketchy past than somebody that, you know, was just happened to be black or Mexican or Jewish or what have you. So uh, to me, I guess growing up the way I did just makes me feel like, you know, I got to see the worst of the worst of white people because we were a hundred percent white in my town uh, you know, no blacks at all, or you know, maybe a, a Mexican migrant worker coming in now and again to help with tobacco. But so all the, you know, all the bad people we saw were white. So it was just the cross culture of bad white people and good white people and average white people. So, yeah, I mean, I just, in my life experience, I mean, coming to college, I was inundated with black folks and most of the folks I was inundated with were really great because they're trying to do something with their lives. They're in college. They're super nice. So I've had much more great experiences with, uh, you know, with the black folks that I've met in my life. But now would that translate to if I was walking down the street in inner city Chicago uh, right now? I would assume not. I would assume I would not be well loved. But again, it's, you know, you're a product of your of your life to, to the point where you're at in my mind. So, yeah. again, we all you can't get rid of some of the things that are inherent in you or things you heard no, when you were growing I, up. I've thought a lot about um the suburban existence that I had for 28 years and probably wouldn't have thought as much about it had I not left it. I don't know how much my brother, frankly, would think about these things because it's taken for granted. But, you know, I'll put it this way. Here's sort of the conclusion I've reached. Uh, urban, uh, an urban life is a real life. A rural life is a real life. Life in the city, life on the farm. Suburban life is kind of manufactured. And why do I say that? Well, because those suburbs, obviously it's a rhetorical question when I say I grew up in a town that was 100% white when I was born in 1960, when I left in 1988, and is still now in 2022, all right? 38 miles from New York City. Does that happen by accident or design? Rhetorical question, right? Happens by design. Um, and it's sort of a buffered, gilded cage that they put you in when you're in the suburbs. It's intentional to keep those that are different out. And it's kind of shitty. 
Um, and that's every big city that there is. You talk about Louisville, and you've got the east side and the west side, right? You've got it everywhere you go, Lexington, the north side. And so how does that ever change? And, and it is slowly changing. Now, you know, Matt, who lives in Lexington in a, in a tight-knit, or not tight-knit necessarily community, but clo- houses are close together, has several African-American neighbors amongst his his neighborhood. So, so integration is happening and, and, and strangely, Tristan, probably more so in the South than the North. And I've said that to my brother, another realization that I wouldn't have, I don't think if I were still living in New Jersey, I don't know if you knew that I grew up in New Jersey. Really? Um, yeah, but I think the South is arguably <laughs> more integrated, um, which is kind of a strange historical thing because you think about, oh, God, the South and the Southerners. I actually have this weird thought that had the Civil War never happened, um, the South might be much more along in integration than the North. First off, because there's more black folks in the South. But, you know, those things worked themselves out, and then that war hit, and everybody had to hate everybody, you know, because of the war. But um, I don't know. These are just the things that I think about. I don't know how well they translate to a podcast, but... I think there's something to all that. Yeah, no, I, I think the same thing, because I feel like every time I try to, to say anything about race, I listen to the episode the following week, and I think, God damn it, I sound like a racist, but I'm not. I don't feel like, you know, I, I have any, a racist bone in my body, like kind of like you. I mean, I, here's a fascinating well, no, story. Well, no, I I'd say <laughs> differently. Yeah, I probably do because of the way I was raised. So when Nate said to me, a little bit, Ray, a little bit, a little bit of racism, yeah, because I judge things on skin color because I was raised again with nothing but white people. So how can you not do that? All right. But here's what I say to anybody who's in a similar situation. I am not going to be pretentious enough to say, I don't have a racist bone in my body because I still look at the fucking basketball game and I say, hey, there's two white guys. I'm pretty sure Dave Townsend, Grant Stepp, and Nate Haskins would say, look, asshole, that makes you if not a racist, at least judging things on race. So maybe maybe it's semantics, you know, or or seeing race, right? You're never not going to see anybody anybody who tells you, oh, I don't see color. Fuck you. We all see color. But you got to work in your life to mitigate that. And the way you do that is to treat people respectfully. But you're, I think you're coming from a place of the 1990s, Ray, when we were trying to be colorblind and trying to not see race. Now you're offensive to the, to our side. If you don't see race, like you have to acknowledge everybody's race now. So now you may have somehow in some weird racist echogram come around to now be the exact person you're supposed to be. You do acknowledge race. So, and again, knowing you personally, I don't feel like I would be doing the podcast with you. If you were a racist person, I mean, there's a great, discussion on what is a racist but i think acknowledging the fact that you suffered biases based on the way you were raised but are working not working to change it but you still see everybody you see race but you don't treat people in a bad way unless they treat you bad that's it. i mean to me that's, that's not that's not racism here's, here's a great yeah. story from our friend brandon that's been on the show and i hope he doesn't mind me telling this story because brandon's a, a black person and uh, he works at a car lot. And we were just talking uh, like a week ago. They, they were putting a Pontiac on the, on the radio. And he said, God damn it, every time I see a Pontiac, I think of this old racist acronym that my grandpa would say. So it, it stuck with him. Now, this is a black man hearing this 
racist acronym from his white grandpa. And I said, Brandon, I hear every time I see Pontiac, I think the same fucking thing. Now, what are you supposed to do? I mean, you can't unfry your brain from this bullshit that you learned as a kid. Right. There's nothing you can do with that, but try to tell yourself, obviously, I don't feel racist. But again, it doesn't mean these fucking words or these fucking thoughts are not going to pop up in your head sometimes. And you're not going to think, oh, God, I wish I didn't know that as a child. And I wish I'd never heard that racist term. So, again, I don't think racism is being perfect and never having a racist thought or, you know, it's there's just a big difference. I mean, nobody that's ever thought I want to murder somebody. You're not guilty of murder. It's, you know, you have bad thoughts in your life. No, that's a great way to put it, Tristan. You, you said it quite succinctly, and you said it well. So so we're getting close to killing an hour again. I don't know how we do it. And I think one of the things we wanted to talk about, maybe the main topic, was DeSantis and the migrants. Um, I'll just say this. I think it was a very cyn- the height of cynicism. I mean, it was to play to a particular audience, and I think they already have that audience. I mean, that's not playing to you, me, or anybody to the left of us, or even slightly to the right of us. It's for let's be honest, MAGA Republicans who loved it, Tucker Carlson, who absolutely loves you know, loves the, the, the move and talks about it every day on his show, but it was the height of cynicism, and I think in some ways it's backfiring on DeSantis. I don't think he was ready for the blowback. I think he thought he, he was, what's the old saying, too cute by half? He, he thought, <laughs> oh, this was going to play well, and I was going to get some media attention, but now it's kind of blowing up a little bit on him, no? No, and again, I... I think politically, look, he owned the libs. He got them. I'm going to show you. I'm going to send these migrants to your precious little upper-class liberal homes, and you're going to have to deal with it. But, hey, look, the liberals actually said, look, we they got a church. They put these yeah, folks up. They, they fed them. Nobody talks they about handled that. it, yeah. right? Like right. They, they did what they had to do. So the thing that I will say, yeah, the thing that make is making them look really, really bad, in my opinion, is the fact them that being they— being DeSantis and the bunch? The DeSantis and the bunch, correct, yeah. is that they lied to those folks. Look, these are human beings. Right. I, you, you, I don't, I mean, look, Americans on both sides play politics with human beings every day. It's going right. to happen, Democrats and Republicans. But when you tell a group of 200 people that are fleeing violence from cartels, fearing for their lives, having their families raped and murdered, look, we're going to send you up uh, to Boston or wherever for these jobs. And you're just lying to these people to manipulate them to get them on a plane or a bus. Man, that's pretty fucked up. I I can't get behind that. Look, if you're going to say, look, we're sending you up here because we think that these people will be able to help you out. Maybe there's a a shred of, of decency in that. But to just say, you know, we're sending you up here where there's jobs and there's homes and, you know, this big, that's just a shitty thing to do to human beings. Well, and so much so that so these folks were largely Venezuelan, and apparently there is a not insignificant Venezuelan population in Florida that votes. And so DeSantis is having to backtrack a little bit because that Venezuelan uh, group is pissed and getting some sympathy from other uh, South Americans, Central Americans. And it's, again, I think that he thought, right, this is a great way to own the libtards, as they call them, terrible term, and uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick it to them here, and it's going to be great, and I'm going to be, you know, looked at with with such uh, affinity in, 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 in the uh, conservative circles. Some people are like, even Lucas, who I work with, who's quite conservative, was like, he's, but he's certainly not a MAGA Republican. I was like, what an asshole. How, how can you do that to people? 
So I think that was a calculation that they didn't make. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I think if they wanted uh, 24 hours of great, you know, Fox News coverage and take that, liberals, you're so stupid, you want these immigrants, but what are you going to do with them now that they're in Martha's Vineyard? I mean, I'm sure they got 24 hours of coverage and probably got some good memes out of it and, like you said, own the libs. But, yeah, man, at the end of the day, that's real folks and real people who are are having a desperate time. And I think we so easily forget – you know, and, I, and you and I, I think are both watching this um, this America and the Holocaust uh, documentary by Ken Burns on PBS yes. right now. How fucking human people are that sometimes need to escape these really bad situations, right? And and to, you know, and to a lot of people, we you know, sadly, it's we we talk about immigration, but it's human lives. Like it's human lives that are going to be lost in some of these war torn places, some of these places where cartels are just recklessly killing just for shits and giggles. And man, these these are scared human beings. So I don't know. Find another way to own the libs. Yeah, absolutely. And it was a stunt. Let's be honest. There's people on the right that are offended at the use of the word stunt. It was a fucking stunt. That that move by Abbott and DeSantis and Ducey, I think, is the Arizona governor, did nothing to solve the problem. And it is a problem. It was merely a stunt that they pulled, right, for the 24 hours of news. And of course, Carlson thinks it's the greatest thing ever and there's that element whatever it is that sliver of people who think it was the greatest thing ever but the vast majority of us say you know ron you're an asshole and you didn't help yourself at all in doing this no i completely agree and and that's kind of the thing i want to like ron DeSantis because i think he's probably going to be the candidate because i you know i feel like trump is he can't be back but he just does a lot of stupid shit too i'm having trouble really getting behind DeSantis, but I'll say this real quick. You know, that was taken right out of the, uh, the Jim Crow, uh, segregation playbook. The South used to send blacks up to, uh, up to Northern cities, kind of in the terms of you want them so bad, you could have them kind of a, a thing. So I was like, that's fascinating. I wasn't aware of that. And I saw that, uh, I read that story this week. Well, that's why I say, Trizin, my favorite expression, the more things change, the more they remain the same. And, and past this prologue, you know, there's almost nothing that happens anymore uh, without precedent, right? It's, it's, it's right. happened before. But um, it, it, it really is interesting. And I heard um, uh, the Biden spokeswoman, uh, Jean-Pierre, took over for, um, oh gosh, I've already forgotten how quickly we forget the redheaded woman, Jen Psaki. Saki, yeah. Um, yeah. And she was saying today basically what we just said. You know, yeah, it was cute, Mr. Governor, right? You got your kicks. Now, why don't you actually help us solve this problem? Because Republicans talk about immigration because it's a great issue for them to run on, but they've stood in opposition to everything that was put forward back to John McCain when he had a, a pretty good approach to immigration, and it was Republicans who beat it back. I think, you know, how cynical do you want to be? Do they like having the issue so they don't really want to work to solve it? I mean, that's terrible accusation to make, but golly, it almost seems like that. Well, and I think Republicans take that hit on a lot of things. I think that was the abortion argument, that they wanted to use it as a way to garner evangelical votes, but they didn't really want to you know, fix it, or not fix it, but get the law changed because of the backlash. So that was always well, what look I at it. And, right? and look at it, Tristan. I think these midterms are going to be damn close. And I think largely because of one issue, 
and that issue. And, and it, well, it's not one issue, Tristan. It's so abortion happens to be the issue. Not happens to be abortion is the issue. But it's it's people looking and saying, "Wait a minute, man! The Supreme Court isn't supposed to take rights away. It's supposed to codify rights. That's fucked up." You know. My granddaughter, as a, you know, an older woman might say, is going to have less rights than I have. That's not what we're supposed to be about as Americans. And if it, and if that's one right, what's the next right? And I think it's, it's as much that personal, uh, liberties as it is, you know, ab- abortion is the big heading, but personal li- liberties are the subheading. Yeah, well, I think they're talking about already that if they use the same precedent that they used to overturn Roe, they could overturn uh, interracial marriage, they could overturn gay marriage. So, man, this could be a slippery slope that Republicans really don't want to have to go down. So sometimes when you, it's like uh, white men can't jump, right? Sometimes you win, but you really don't win. Yeah, and it's I've heard it said often, you know, it's the old uh, adage of the dog who finally catches the car, right? The dog chases the car every day, every day for years and years, and finally one day catches up to the car. Well, he doesn't know what to do with it because it's a fucking car. I, I think, you know, I still think Mitch McConnell said to his wife, Elaine Chow, why did they do this now? You know, now he has to go out and say, oh, it's wonderful we did this, but being the politician that he is, well, let us get the midterms. Let me get back as the Senate president, and then we'll deal with this. Why Why in the summer of 22? Yeah, no, <laughs> when there's fair a point. Midterm? Because All you right. go back three months ago, and Democrats' demise was just being celebrated. You don't hear Fox celebrating it anymore. They're more like, well, if we win, if, wow, I thought it was a done deal. Yeah, no, it's going to be a fascinating election season. So It is. Uh, and it, on that, it, it is. On that note, you want to do a little comedy. And I do want to go on record, Ray. I don't have a racist bone in my body. You've got one racist bone, but you're working actively to alleviate yourself of that one racist bone. Well, that- but see, I would I would question that. I, I stand by the adage that there's not a white person in America who doesn't have a racist bone because it's America. It's the way we were raised. You were raised to believe that you were better as a white person. You were. I mean, I, I would I would argue that point with anybody. When you look at a basketball game, do you say, hey, there's two white guys? Well, yes, and but I will answer, say. And, and, and if you but, answer no, that, that question, there's a, yes, I've, then you've I've got, got a, a big bone. bone. No, noticing race does not make you racist. Thinking you're better than somebody because of your race makes you racist. And I've never had that thought. Certainly as a poor person growing up, I never felt like I'm better than that Mexican out in that field. He was making more money than I was or better than a black person that happens to be working at McDonald's because at least they had a job in my town. I don't know, so, Tristan. That's that so whole that's white privilege at. thing. That's that's that whole white privilege thing, though. It's, it's, it is the thought that you're better. It's the American society that we were raised in. I tell the story and I've told you this. I'll tell it one more time. The young guy that works for us and he was house sitting one of the owners here at uh, Galaxy's home, very nice home in a, in a very nice neighborhood. And Andrew went over there. Uh, he was dog sitting and well, he was staying at the house, but he was dog sitting and it was his first, it was his first night there. And he brings the dog out for a walk, and they live on 50 acres. It's not really a neighborhood. They live in a beautiful home on a huge farm. And um, he inadvertently trips the silent alarm. And Andrew likes to, you know, experience with a little bit of Mother Nature. So he goes for this fairly lengthy walk with the dog and comes back 40 minutes later, and there's two Richmond police cars in the parking lot. He's high as a fucking kite, and he's like, what is this about? And he walks up and the officer says, we got a, a you know, an alarm call. The, the alarm went, oh, son of a gun. He explains what he's doing, sitting, house sitting. They never even ask for identification. They just take him at his word. 
they apologize for scaring him. He thanks him for coming out, and the entire exchange is over. If that's a black kid, it's not ending that way. And that's a real-life story. I'm not saying the kid's winding up getting shot, but at a minimum, he's going to have to show ID. They're going to know want to know why he's there. And it just struck me in that story, it's so enlightening as to the privilege we have as white people. And you're raised in a country where you're told that privilege is something to be celebrated. And it's black folks who know that. Black folks look at us and say, look, asshole, of course you're racist. You can't not be. But what you can do is work to treat me as an equal. How about that? And that's the deal I've made. I've said, okay, that's a fair point because they're right about their take on me, but I have to, in exchange, do everything I can to be respectful. And I would say that to any white person there is. And I'm not saying you have to agree with me, but that's my take on it. And I don't think I'm wrong. Well, you know, having conversations with some of my black friends, I would say, I feel like, yes, you can't help the the prejudices or the thoughts or the way you were raised or the uncles and aunts on for black people, for white people, for everybody. They're always going to feel a certain way about another race. I don't necessarily feel like being cognizant that there are limitations in your mind or th- certain things are instilled in you from a young age. But I, yeah, but I think where you and I might differ is I've never felt like I was better than anyone ever. I have just never had that feeling. And uh, now this does not, not to say that white privilege doesn't exist or that I don't have the luckiest life in the world. And a lot of that is probably because of the way I look. Well, so, but see what I'm saying, Tristan, is that it doesn't really make a difference what your status is. It's that the entire society in America was built around the fact. Again, my fucking question, I grew up in a suburb 100% white in 1960 when I was born, in 1988 when I left, and in 2022, today. How is that? Well, it's to protect those that that look a particular way and to keep the others out. So what does that inherently fucking tell you? Oh, well, I guess I'm better than them. That's the fucking point. And that's the point that black people get. I'm getting a little excited here, but th- this is something I'm, I'm fairly passionate about because most people don't see it. And I'm not saying that you don't see it, but white people who say, oh, not a ra- and I'm not picking on you, not a racist bone in my body, really don't see that fucking big picture right? It's not that there may not be a racist bone in your body, but you were raised in a country where white was here and other was here. And that's just the way it was. And how much has that changed? Eh, Incrementally. And I get a kick out of young kids who think it's changed greatly because it really hasn't. My fucking hometown is still the hometown that it was in 1960. And that's by design, not by accident. So that's where I'll leave it. Well, I feel like there's two competing thoughts at once. Like you're to me, I can say I don't have a racist bone in my body at the same time as I do see all the systematic racism you're speaking about. I've never felt like I was protected from other races or uh, which I mean, I'm sure I have been. I'm sure there's certain things in certain situations, but I, I, I just don't feel like. And you're a guy who has plenty of friends that don't look like you. So I don't know. I guess it just is a big conversation about what really is racism, because I don't feel like we're having we're saying different things. I just don't feel like a racist. 
I t- tell you what, I just realized that the computer keeps our time because I always keep my eye on the clock. So we're at a, 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 an hour and a minute and we haven't even mentioned our sponsors. So this this got to be a pretty heavy conversation and it would be a great one to have one of our African-American friends uh, have with us. But we'll end Indeed. on a funny note or I'll at least attempt to end on a funny note. I referenced All in the Family before with Edith and how far blacks had come on television. I'll end with a line from Archie. He's having an argument with uh, Mike one day about, you know, white men. And, you know, well, that's the way it is. You know, God made white men, number one, meathead. And and Mike kind of capitulates and he goes, oh, all right, Archie. So if God made white men, number one, then I guess he made black men, number two, and Puerto Ricans, number three. And Archie goes, not necessarily, buddy. You got your chinks and your japs, 3A, 3B. 1970s uh, uh, television, right? Because that was representative of every fucking guy in every house that I'm talking about in Pumpton Plains, New Jersey. So that is a difficult thing to rise above. And it takes a lot of work to rise above it and a lot of self-realization to rise above it. And I can tell you, Tristan, because I know for a fact my brother plays in a golf league with all of those guys who are my age and they're they're wonderful guys because then that goes to that question of can you be a racist and still be a good guy but many of them still live with that 1970s archie bunker mindset they simply do well and you you actually grew up with that archie bunker in that with the show on the air i always sort of felt like the archer bunky archie bunker character was sort of a character to be scoffed at like he wasn't the hero like he was the guy and well, and Norman Lear, who was the producer of the show um, and the main writer of the show, said, and I don't necessarily know that I agree with Mr. Lear, who's 97 and still alive and all the respect in the world, but he said that he wrote that show with Archie as the butt of the jokes and then realized that the audience was laughing with Archie, not at Archie. Um, Interesting. Yeah, and that was Norman Lear himself. Maybe, you know, again, I won't. No, I'm not going to stand in the way of Mr. Lear on that. But, you know, because Archie was so prevalent, I don't think my dad was a hater. I don't think my dad intrinsically disliked anybody. He was an affable and gregarious Irishman who loved to tell a story. But he was of a generation and of a mindset that Archie represented and all of dad's friends were. And they raised us, you know, so it's... It's a hell of a discussion. It wasn't certainly anything we planned, but that's why this show hopefully is fun. And uh, we still haven't mentioned any sponsors, so we have to mention Daniel and uh, and Aaron. Right? Yeah, so let's and mention Troy. our buddy. I don't know if they even want to be associated with this show. We may want to just save them for next, but we'll force them to be a part of this one anyway. So, yeah. Uh, Thanks to our friends at Bad Wolf Gaming, 859-646-6061 for Bad Wolf Gaming right here in Berea at 711 Chestnut Street. We've got all your Yu-Gi-Oh, all your magic, all your cards, all your family fun. Check them out. Don't miss out on Bad Wolf Gaming. Frontporchstudios.com with our man Troy, who's going to listen to this later and cringe and say, I don't know if you should have said that, Ray, um, but he will nonetheless be checking this out. Frontporchstudios.com. Check out our man Troy and Nate, we don't thank you enough at Stoveleg Media. We appreciate everything you do. Uh, but I'll tell you why, Nate. You're actually on the second page of sponsor list thank yous here, and I miss it half the time. So apologize. And thanks to our umbrella media company, Stoveleg Media. Uh, we hope you'll check out yeah, a lot true. of uh, Stoveleg's other great shows and great programming. Uh, and my buddy, last but certainly not least, Aaron at Berea Pond, Buckshot, and Lead.com, 107 Clay Drive. I went there this week and bought some stuff. 
think you and I were there, and he gave me a nice, like one of those, um, like nice mugs. So he's they've got guy. like the yeah, so like they keep your ice all day. So yeah, pretty pretty great place. They've a lot of great furniture. You know, it's all new and it's this? cheap. Sure. You work at a radio station. I used to work there. Can we not produce a couple of commercials somewhere along the line? <laughs> well, I was going to say, when we get to our new Bad Wolf studio this week, the first thing we should do is sit down, knock out a couple 30s for everybody, so we're not doing this. Absolutely, oh, this week. Oh, that would be week. great. Yeah. Now, can, if we do the audio, can you maybe get a little music bed or something put under them? You know what? I was going to send it to my production guy at Wallingford, but I think Troy would knock it out. And, you know, and if he doesn't okay. want to, then I'll send it to my guys in Richmond. And, and either way, like this is the week. Let, let's cool. get let's get our guys some and, spots so we don't have to on the heels of very serious topic then <laughs> go into discussing uh, our sponsors. But nonetheless, I, and good I, call a good call on Nate by the way because we don't mention yeah, him enough. Yeah, he's he literally look. I'll, this is it's on my second sheet. It's the only thing, and I miss it every week. And I think shit, I've got to mention stove lake because they're so great but I, yes. I sometimes fail at that but yeah check out uh, nate and his great uh media company full of really good podcasts we ask that you listen to us mainly but also check out some of the others and uh, again my buddy aaron at buckshot really if you need any kind of furniture at a great price that's the way to go all right so i'm going to tell this joke tristan because uh it was told to me and i do okay repeating jokes i thought it was cute Patty laughed hard at it. Raymond thought it was the dumbest fucking thing he ever heard. So I'm going <laughs> to let you decide because you're all right. right in between of all of all the ages, right? So sounds good. Uh, woman has a parrot for like 50 years. Parrots live forever, and one day the parrot's in the bottom of the cage, and she's quite upset. She brings it to her vet, and the vet checks them all out and says, "Unfortunately, the parrot's gone." And she's like, "Oh man, oh that's terrible. Is there nothing else you can do?" And he says, "Yeah, there's one. There's one thing I can do with that." He opens a door and this black lab comes in and he puts his paws up on the counter where the parrot is and he sniffs around and he barks and he leaves. And the vet says, well, that confirms it. Your parrot's dead. And she's like, oh, my goodness, you're sure there's nothing else you can do? And he says, all right, there is one more thing. This cat comes in. Cat jumps up, sniffs all around the parrot, lets out a big meow and leaves the room. And the vet says, that definitely confirms it. Your parrot's dead. And the woman is upset, but she says, well... All right, I guess you've done what you can do, and you've checked it out. So what do I owe you? And the vet says, $200. And the woman says, $200 to tell me my parrot is dead? And he said, well, it would have been 20 bucks, but you had to have the lab work and the CAT scan. <laughs> That's pretty Are good. Are you laughing? I do like You're that, laughing. yeah. That's pretty Ray good. Ray thought it was like, so stupid, Dad, why would you tell that? And Patty kind of laughed the way you laughed. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, it was a dad so, joke for sure. But yeah, is that it was a solid. dad joke? So brought to yeah, you by Bria Pond. Is that why Ray hated it? Because it was a dad joke. It must be a dad when your actual dad's telling the dad joke. Probably not your favorite. <laughs> so, and uh, all right, as I've gotten away from some of my comedy, but I have started asking folks for five star reviews. Yes, uh, I'm reading a couple actual five star reviews this week from Spotify. So if you listen to the show, we would appreciate if you could jump on and leave one on Apple and Spotify, which we'd sure appreciate it, or anywhere else you can review podcasts uh, at dandy dan writes this podcast is what happens when kids get too many participation trophies five stars ah. nice uh at trans keith garrett writes i wish somebody would replace you guys with black mermaids that's probably fair hey, that say goes nicely with the, yeah. uh, the, the, the the gist of today's show the theme indeed yeah black mermaids would be much better hosts um, so they at, just sent that. That just they, came quickly. They, they didn't even know that we were going to do a show and discuss uh, discuss that. So 
It's amazing. It was amazing for sure. Uh, Speed Racer 13 writes, listening to you guys is like what I would imagine listening to a Joe Biden rap album would be like. Mm. Not, not what would that, that good. be a title? Hopelessly oh, white? <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Let's see. Moneyball76 writes, in my heart, I'm only giving you one star, but I want you to read it on air. So five stars. All right. Uh, Bob Simpson, 34 writes, listening to extreme common sense gave my ear STDs. Well, that hurts. I wouldn't even think that would be physically possible. He's got an infection. Yeah. You you know, to get five star reviews, you'd think they would be more positive, but nonetheless, leave a review. We'll read it on air. We sure appreciate you guys listening. And, uh, thanks again to stove leg media. Thanks to Troy at front porch studios, Bria Pond and bad wolf gaming for all your support. Yes, absolutely. Thanks to all you guys. And uh, Daniel, we're going to set out and see you tomorrow and maybe get a show in a studio. I like it. Although I do have to give Troy credit. These these shows sound pretty good. They Especially do. When, you... I, when, I, when I keep my hands off buttons, they sound pretty good. When you don't multiply into uh, three rays, they, they stay <laughs> <Morphing>. pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> you think that's a nightmare for you. Could you imagine my wife? Oh, my God. That's a, <laughs> that's a day she doesn't want to have. <laughs> no, she does not. <laughs> All right, brother. Always a pleasure. All right, Ray. See you tomorrow. Take care. Thanks, Triz. Thanks for listening to Extreme Common Sense with Trisden and Ray. We hope you had fun and look forward to taking on another topic next week.